up next in your podcast queue, Baseball by Design. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Sunday Helmet Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Today we're going to be talking about the Columbus Clippers, a AAA team in Columbus, Ohio. Later on in this episode, I will be speaking with Joe Santry, who is the team historian for the Columbus Clippers. And of course, Dan Simon will be here with a studio Simon Stumper. Right now, I'm so happy to be joined by the voice of Huntington Park and the director of website communications for the Columbus Clippers. It's Father Panda on Twitter, Matt Leininger. <laughs> Matt, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you, sir? Well, you and I have followed each other on Twitter for a long time, and it's really nice to finally make your acquaintance here on Zoom anyway. It's it's as close as as we've come to meeting in person, you know, with our actual human faces. So it's it's super nice to meet you. We, we uh, it's a, it is a definitely a pleasure to uh, to finally be able to sit down with you. And we've 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 been basically uh, almost arm's length apart, but True. I've been stuck in a booth. I've I've been to Huntington Park twice. It's a beautiful ballpark. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's home. That's my second home. I'm <laughs> I'm there all the I'm there all the time. So it's uh, it's uh, it's been a it's been a wonderful place to uh, just build a career. Really. Like it's, well, it's been a place to grow. So you've been there for, for 13 years. I've been there twice. Once I was on a work trip and I was at a conference and like, it was, it was, it was super hot. It was like, really, it was hot and it was a little bit humid. And I left this, you know, conference that I was attending still in like khakis and dress shoes and like a shirt and tie and went to the game by myself, went up in that there's this awesome, like brewery out in left field that gives you the, like this amazing view of the ballpark and then of course last year it was part of our baseball palooza trip and so i was there with 10 guys and on both instances you know we were only there during actual game time and so i didn't get a chance to come say hi to you so finally now we get to actually have a conversation let's talk about your columbus clippers here why is a team that plays in columbus ohio named for a a seafaring clipper ship well uh with 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 the city being Columbus, you know the and and a, a Clipper ship being, I I I wouldn't say that that's one of the, I'm not sure if that's one of the types of ships that they came over on, but or or whatever that tale is that that we were taught in high school, um, <laughs> in, in elementary <laughs> school, uh, but yeah, so the 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 tie is there. Um, it's it's kind of it's really cool because I I get to do a lot of stuff with the social media graphics. Um, using water mm -hmm. you know like i can use any type of like background using water or anything like that and you know it, it it allows us to or it allows me with to kind of target how i'm making my graphics and stuff and and where we're going like with the lineup graphics and starting starting uh starting pictures and all that um sure. but yeah clippers started in 1977 we're with the uh pittsburgh pirates affiliation for two years and yeah. then 32 years, I think, with the Yankees. But I actually didn't really have anything. Uh, I didn't grow up in Columbus. I grew up in Northwest Ohio. So I grew okay. up going to Mudhens games. I oh, was, okay. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was a Mudhens fan, but when you're a kid in the local minor league team, you know, you just kind of go. Yeah. Um, so I grew up going to the old Ned Skeldon Stadium. So while I don't have any memories of Cooper Stadium, where the Clippers played for the longest time, um, I have fond memories of 
the Ned, which comparatively speaking is a very similar uh, old school classic, classic ballpark. When did Huntington Park open? Huntington Park opened in 2009. Okay. Um, so technically this is our, our 15th year of being open. So I think the season 14 since we lost 2020. We had uh, two years with the Nationals prior to moving into Huntington Park. And then when they moved into Huntington Park, it became the affiliation with Cleveland. Okay. And that has just become, it's just, you know, 14, 15 years running now. It's a wonderful partnership. Two hours, two and a half hours away, right up the road. So you've been with the team 13 years. So when you came on there, and it sounds like the new the new stadium roughly correlated with the current version of this brand, uh, but basically going back to 1977, you know the the first the first version of the logo. They all four have some version of a clipper ship, and I do have to uh, admit to a certain amount of prior knowledge coming into this one because I remember researching it, and you know, like you said, the reason is the reason for the name is that you know Christopher Columbus sailed. The ocean blue in 1492, right? Like that's the rhyme yeah. that we were all taught right there. The, um, the Nino, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. The all of those. We uh, <laughs> we we never learned any rhymes about Norwegian explorer Leif Erikson, who uh, apparently was the first <laughs> European to to set foot in uh, in North America. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's also kind of how we similarly don't know the story of Israel Bissell, but we all know. Uh, right. Israel Bissell is the guy who actually took the midnight ride, not Paul Revere. Paul oh. Revere only rode Paul Revere only rode like twelve miles. Israel Bissell actually rode to Philadelphia. Uh, the Beastie Boys got that. it wrong, right? The other thing that I was going to say was that the that Christopher Columbus, yeah, he uh, he sailed sailboats across the ocean, but they were not actually clipper ships. Uh, clipper ships were like three hundred years after the fact. So this is one of those ones. It's Columbus. There's a big sailboat you don't want to look too too closely at the history of it because it starts to it starts to come apart just a little bit if uh if you do but the connection between columbus and, and boats i guess is the one that that's the team was that's what we to. ride with there you go yeah that's that go. that's the one that we ride with <laughs> <laughs> so so all four versions of the logo involve you know a version of a clipper ship the first one has red had a big letter c and then had red and blue and then uh ever since the more been of a, three more more of an oval C on that. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It looks mm -hmm. like the Oregon O almost, but with just the you know, yep. part of it cut out to make a C. And then since then, it's been like the 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 more sort of like cyan or or turquoise blue with the dark blue. It's been, you know, just a couple different kinds of blues. And and then of course the type and the letter C has changed a little bit. So the branding is pretty consistent since 1977, right? The letter C and a version of the boat. And there's been you know, it's been updated over the years, but certainly that brand has, has stood the the test of time over the years. You know, being there as long as you have, A, is there ever, you know, a, you know, do you ever have clamoring to like, hey, everyone else is rebranding in minor league baseball, we should too? Or is this one now like just firmly entrenched? It's one of the like Yankee style classics out there. So I'll definitely say that our our, our entire organization is based around that, the, you want to call it the Yankee way. Um, right. our, our president and general manager, Ken Schnocky, um, love that man. He's, 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 he's become a, a very, very good mentor, uh, for, 
for me and, and, and growing in my career and, and just kind of growing as a person too. Like he's a very caring person about his employees. Hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a very Yankee style because he came up with Steinbrenner um, mm-hmm. with the Yankee partnership for so long. And so that's why we have a, a very, you know, plain, just simple white with the Navy piping home Jersey gray with Navy piping um away jersey very very you know straightforward and we've stayed with you know stayed along with the blues with using a a little bit of a red accent all these years it's Mm -hmm. been it's been nice once they got away from you know being with uh being with the the yankee affiliation they got away from wearing pinstripes right and that's when the the you know the the more piping came came in also when you look at like you've been to huntington park you look at the outfield wall there's Huntington Park along in left center and then the advertisement for Pedialyte Forge in the right. And that's it. And you can't tell me any other ball, you go to any other minor league ballparks that are gonna like zero signage. It's very, very clean, very crisp. Yeah. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to take away from anybody that that has the the ads in the outfield and stuff. Yeah. But my view is wonderful because yeah. I get to sit just to the first base side of home plate with the view of the city and in, in the background and get to watch just this perfect perfect little slice of heaven downtown capital city of my 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 beloved home state of ohio so we 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 touched on the the ballpark itself right like it, i i mentioned you know we it it's a very like you say that the design of the ballpark is pretty consistent with the design of the the brand it's very it's very clean uh, there's this. Uh, I, I really love the way it says Huntington across the uh, across the top and sort of the all caps mm-hmm. like letter space, like very elegant sans serif typography across the top of the ballpark. So it's yeah, it's a very photogenic ballpark. It was a very comfortable ballpark. You guys do a great job with the helmet Sundays. You know that I, you know, that's <laughs> that's an important. I've got several Columbus Clippers helmet Sundays out there in the collection. It's your voice, right? That's booming through the stadium as as batters come up to bat, and and uh, you know that as you're as you're making these announcements. Yeah, that's uh, so that's that's kind of the, the the voice of Huntington Park has kind of become you know that's my where I'm just so comfortable, right. and it's just so easy. Like I I don't I don't I don't even do vocal exercises anymore before starting. Like I, I don't. It's just. We just lean right into it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Huntington Park. And oh, so we just and we just kind of we just kind of roll with it. And yeah. it's gosh, I, I just love it. And we really try to <clears throat> not make it matter what's on the scoreboard. Like, yeah, we get the bases loaded. That's a good time to get everybody up and get everybody yeah. pumped. Like, let's go, let's 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 rally and stuff. Yeah. It's just all about just having an upbeat atmosphere and Gosh, our last Saturday home game, we had a crowd that was just, oh, <laughs> fe- fe- fever pitch, uh, just short of 10,000. And wow. they were from from the start of the game to the end. Given that it's a triple A team and you've been there as long as you have, I'm sure you've had a, you know, a bunch of great players come through and it's been fun to announce them. But I'm not asking you who the best players are that you've gotten to announce what are the best names? What are the most fun names for you to to announce when uh, when these players come through? So, 
my my all-time favorite name is it's actually a very simple one and that's a a guy we had come through uh he was with us in 2015 i want to say 2016 as well and that's audi siriaco and it's just <laughs> the the way it flows with now betting left fielder audi siriaco and it just flowed <laughs> and it was just it was the first first name that i really felt myself kind of coming into my own as an announcer uh-huh. in that time and I was in year like three or four and still kind of getting you know my feet wet and trying to figure out exactly what my style is and what how how I'm going to be approaching games and I was really taking that time and learning but that was the first name that really I remember just flowed just flowed nicely <laughs> and now we've got a guy named John Kenzie Noel nice and when I tell you I absolutely love saying that dude's name. And the bigger the moment, obviously, the more emphasis I put into it. And it's just John Kenzie Noel. <laughs> and between him and Rene Delgado. <laughs> those are my two favorite current ones. That's um, awesome. Obviously, obviously, Francisco Lindor was fun. Yeah. And, you know, you get a lot of times it's fun when guys come down um and i don't mean in like being sent down but like coming back like from injury like oh yeah we had we had joey Votto and from with louisville for yeah. an entire week here and so like we got to announce like first baseman joey Votto, and even <laughs> though it's for the away team it's still yeah. kind of like oh man he's a future hall of famer That's yeah cool. you gotta like, have a little fun <laughs> with that right 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 yeah matt i have to ask you uh, i know you from the world of twitter that's how you and i got to know each other I'm I'm curious just because I'm sure there's a story here. Your your handle is at underscore Big Matt, but your Twitter name for as long as I have been following you has been Father Panda. What is the story behind those names? All right, so I, I played college football at Bowling Green, and uh-huh. so all all through high school and, and college, they just called me by my last name. You know, like that's just the football thing. Yeah, Leininger, let's go, and um. Then uh, after I was done playing football, I started working in the bars and that's where Big Matt originated. And because I wasn't big before, I mean, I was, but I wasn't big around the people that I hung around with because everybody was my size. I'm six, five, about 330 pounds. And um, I I was only about 300 when I played, but you know, where we we get a little wider around the mid mid section, the older we get, the more gray (laughs) hair we get in the beard. Um, But so it, it that's where Big Matt started. And Big Matt kind of carried along for, oh gosh, over a decade. And then um, I lost a bunch of weight. And I went from, oh goodness, like 350 down to like 240. Nice. And everybody was making the joke like, oh, we, we, you know, we, we, we can't call you Big Matt anymore. You're not big. I'm like, well, I'm still six five, and I'm still broad as a house. Like, come on, guys. And no, that didn't that didn't work. So, yeah. brought in the name that my 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 little sister Sarah gave me a long time ago, which was Panda, nice. and because she said that I was always I was cute and cuddly, but if I wanted to, I could rip your face off. <laughs> it is uh, what it is. Um, and then nine, maybe ten years ago. Um, I had somebody very close to me ask me to get ordained and become a minister so I could perform his wedding for him. From that, Father Panda is <laughs> the one that stuck. And uh, yeah. I've done uh, 28 weddings now. 
Wow. Any uh, at the ballpark? Ministered. Actually, yes. Uh, nice. One, one, one at Huntington Park and one uh, up in Lake County at the Captain Stadium. I got All to right. do one there as well. All so, right. uh, yeah, it was kind of, it's a real, really cool, really uh, intimate experience. I mean, you're just, you're, you're kind of just in this empty, uh, empty ballpark, almost beautifully calm, beautifully peaceful. Sounds uh, amazing. But yeah, it, it just have, have a little wedding at the ballpark. It's a good time. Uh, well, Matt, I have kept you longer than I meant to. I keep doing this, oh, but no, it's so much fun no to like the, worries at all. Now that we've had the chance to actually like sit and chat, like I now I'm I'm really regretting that we didn't get a chance to like have a beer at Huntington Park. Now I just got to find my we, way back. We yeah, definitely definitely got to make your way back here. Uh, uh, hopefully sometime soon. Um, and we will. Uh, we'll, we 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 can toss a few back. There you go. There you go. I know we've already talked about where folks can find you at underscore Big Matt, but how about the Columbus Clippers? Where can people find the Clippers and, and anywhere else that you are? Uh, you can find the Clippers on social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and TikTok at, at CLB Clippers, Facebook, search Columbus Clippers Baseball. Me, uh, my, my TikTok isn't cool or anything. So uh, <laughs> just, I, 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 I I kind of live and die by Twitter. So Elon nice. is kind of, Elon's really been killing me lately. He's been uh, messing with you. Yeah. It was, are uh, you on threads? Did you find, you find your way to threads yet? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, until you're on threads, people can find you at underscore big Matt. As I said, that's how I found you. And, uh, you know, you're a blast to follow on Twitter and, and glad to finally meet you. And yeah, man, we'll catch a game. We'll catch an ice cream. We'll catch a beer at Huntington Park. It's a great place to watch a game. I encourage everyone to get there and go go follow Father Panda on Twitter. Yeah, follow me. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I am very pleased right now to be joined by Joe Santry, who has an amazing job. Joe is the team historian for the Columbus Clippers. And uh, Joe, to my knowledge, there are not that many minor league baseball teams that have team historians. You know, every team should because every team has such a rich history. Uh, I mean, and the former players shouldn't be forgotten. Mm. Uh, here at Huntington Park, uh, we've been voted, uh, I forget how many times it is now, like 11 times is the best ballpark in America. And that includes major leagues. Mm. And one of the reasons, other than the beautiful uh, architecture, is we have over a million pictures of just about everyone who's ever played in Columbus. Mm. And they're all over the park. Uh, uh, and we celebrate everyone. Uh, even this year, uh, we are wearing the uniforms of the Columbus Bluebirds from oh. 1933, which it was one of our eight Negro League teams. Oh, wow. So what's your role then in researching, uh, you know, what those – because I know a lot of times with, with uh, a situation like that, you know, you don't always have the best photographic evidence or there's not great records kept. How do you go about researching a team like the Bluebirds to make sure that the uh, the the uniforms that you're wearing this year are accurate representations? Well, we have a photo, a team photo of the 33 team. Mm. And uh, it was very clear in 
so we were able to duplicate it very easily. Uh, but I use, well, for example, I reconstructed all the statistics going back to 1876. And uh, I had been the official scorer for the Clippers for a number of years. And so I went through and got all the box scores and just reconstructed everything. And, of course, some years they didn't have batting averages. Some years they didn't have uh, earn run averages, uh, things like that. Uh, a lot of years they didn't have RBIs. And uh, you just sort of reconstruct through the game story and the box scores. And uh, we were able to fill all those gaps in. Uh, so we have the statistics for every player, oh, wow. and then uh, a lot of uh, the players we didn't know real well, we called them if they were still alive, <laughs> and uh, went and sat on their at their kitchen table and just let them talk. Oh, wow. uh, we had a shortstop who at the time was 102 years old. And uh, he lived in Mansfield, which is just north of Columbus. And I went up to John Daly's house and knocked on his front door and told him who I was and asked if I could talk to him. And we talked all afternoon, and he filled in personalities of all his former teammates. Uh, he was uh, Hannes Wagner's best friend growing up. Uh <laughs> You know, he told me stories about Hannes. He told me stories about Ty Cobb when he played for the St. Louis Browns, when John played for the St. Louis Browns. And uh, they played against Detroit. Uh, for one game, he actually roomed with Ty Cobb, and he said, Ty taught me how to hook slide with a pillow in the middle of the bedroom floor. <laughs> uh, you really do have an amazing job. Well, you know, and the thing is, is a lot of these guys, once they get to be 70 and 80 years old, have bored their families with the stories. <laughs> and to have somebody who not only knew who his teammates were, but appreciated the stories, uh, they'll they'll talk for days. Well, that is uh, it's such a such a great experience and such a, like you say, I mean, there's so much history in these minor league teams, the value in having an individual who's responsible for, for documenting it and recording it for, uh, for posterity is, is incredible. So it's, there's so much uh, history here to be, to be told. Obviously the subject of this podcast is team uh, logos and nicknames. So I'll ask you, where where does the name Clippers come from? Why is that important to the town of Columbus, Ohio? Well, um, they had a contest, and they had everybody mail in whatever name they would like the team to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had over a 1,000 letters come in. And the reason they settled on the Clippers is, they were looking for something nautical because of Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. And they were also looking for alliteration. Mm. And uh, we, back in 1868, had a semi-pro team called the Clippers. Okay. And I don't know if this person knew that or he just liked the name, 
but that's where it comes from. And uh, it's funny, uh, when we moved into Huntington Park, there was a little bit of discussion whether or not to change the name. But Columbus liked the name so much that they didn't bother changing it. They have a good feel in the in the city about our team and our organization. Well, I could tell that when I was there. It, it was such, such a great place to, to watch the game. And the brand is sort of everywhere, like you say. I know there have been a few iterations of that brand. It started out with the red and blue, and it's been mostly – blue and, and either gray or black since then. I think there's been, what, four iterations of, of the logo. Do you know, as as team historian, what the thinking was over the course of the, the changes of the brand over the years? Well, um, the logo was designed by a local artist named Rick Mock, and um, it was on the front of our uniforms. And then when they were going to change the design of the uniform, uh, they asked Rick to make a little alterations to the logo, uh, and he did. Okay. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty much I don't want to say stayed the same because it didn't, but mm-hmm. it's uh, we identify with it, so uh, sure. we uh, we try not to mess with it. <laughs> For sure. So you you have you know as I've, I've said before you have a unique perspective as team historian. I'll, I'll just ask you personally, how long have you been with the team? Oh God, um, <laughs> thirty years. Okay, that perspective I think you know having been with the team for thirty years, you've seen a lot of changes in the minor league baseball branding landscape. I mean the last you know decade, two decades in particular branding has gotten, you know, pretty crazy out there in the minor league baseball world, whereas the Columbus Clippers have had a very consistent branding and I would say fairly conservative branding in terms of, you know, it's not a crazy cartoon character. It's not, you know, some made-up term for an animal. I know that you're participating in the Copa de la Diversión program with the Valeros brand, uh, but I'm curious to know, are there conversations in Columbus with the Clippers as you know, branding changes in minor league baseball might, you know, might we ever see the Clippers, you know, rebrand or, or, you know, introduce alternate brands or or that sort of thing. I would, with the present administration, I would be surprised, (laughs) but all of us are getting close to 70 now. And uh, who knows what the next generation will bring. Sure. Sure. I'll just ask you one one more question uh, because I just I'm so fascinated by your position. If uh, if a person wanted to become the team historian for a minor league baseball team that does not have that position, which like I said is most of them, how would you go about uh, advocating for a team to create that position? The first thing I did is uh, I went to our main library downtown. Mm-hmm. and read every newspaper, every baseball story ever written mm-hmm. in Columbus. Yeah. And uh, I have a uh, book that John Daly named Grazing, uh, and 
what it was is I redid all the statistics and put it down, and at the bottom of the page, there would always be a little space left. And I would find stories every year that I didn't know or I thought were funny or interesting, and I put them at the bottom of the pages. And I just called that paragraph grazing. Hmm. And, uh, uh, for example, uh, Redbird Stadium, which later became Cooper Stadium, uh, was the first ballpark ever built with lights for night baseball uh, by Larry McPhail. And uh, it was built in a neighborhood called The Bottoms. And it's affectionately known as The Bottoms because it's one of the poorest neighborhoods in Columbus. Hmm. And in 1932, when the ballpark was built, the neighborhood didn't have electricity yet. So the first night game was a real big deal. It was one of our biggest crowds ever, and people came more to see electricity than they did to see the ball game. And it was such a can't-miss event in Columbus that two women gave birth in the stands rather than miss the game. Uh, have you written a book about all of this? I, I'd be, I'd love to see all these stories compiled in a book. Uh, yeah, but uh, it is so full of pictures and is pretty long that it costs about a hundred dollars to print one. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we should have a, a couple of volumes. You got to be a real big fan. To... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. Well, Joe, this has been uh, this has been such a fun conversation, and I love I love your job title. I think every minor league team should have a team historian, and I appreciate the perspective that you you brought to this episode of the podcast about the Clippers. So, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Well, anytime you want to talk baseball, give me a buzz. All right, well, I got your number now, so I'll, I'll do that. Can people find you on Twitter? Or are you online? Um, my email is. Jay Santry, my name, at ClippersBaseball.com. You've been trying to talk me into doing a, a thing online, you know, a story a day, which I yeah. could do easily. Most of it's already written. Yeah. But uh, I uh, I give uh, speeches all over central Ohio, and I don't charge for them. Mm-hmm. And I give tours of the ballpark that we don't charge for. But uh, there are things like uh, the first time uh, Columbus played the national anthem before the ball game, we didn't think it all the way through because when the young high school girl finished and the umpire yelled, play ball, when 20,000 people all sat down at the same time, the ballpark collapsed. No. <laughs> True story. I was trying to guess where that story was going, and I I did not have that in uh, uh, as, as one of the possibilities. That's that's incredible. See, I think I think they're right. I think you should start a uh, a social media account where you uh, document all these stories. Yeah, uh, actually, the story got better. Uh, our shortstop that year was Wally Gerber, who Babe Ruth named as his all-time shortstop. Well. Wally was a young kid, and when it collapsed, across the street was an army base called Fort Hayes. And the soldiers 
lined up all the injured people in the outfield grass, and our little secretary ran in and called the ambulances, but they kept circling the park because they couldn't pull into the parking lot because of the big crowd. Uh-huh. Well, Wally grabbed his roommate and said, uh, Ray Demet, our center fielder, and said, Ray, grab a bat. we got to help. And uh-huh. These two young guys ran out to center field and started chopping away at the center field fence as if their bats were axes. <laughs> it took them about 15 minutes, but they knocked a hole big enough to drive an ambulance right onto the field. <laughs> Ray's out in the middle of Cleveland Avenue waving the ambulances in. The soldiers are filling them with the injured people. Uh-huh. And uh, Wally's waving them back out to get them to the hospital. Amazing. It took about 20 minutes, but they cleared the field. Well, all the fans started going over to the collapsed bleachers and pulling their purses and their coats out of the rubble. And Joe Tinker, who owned the team, get, got on the PA and goes, wait, wait, you don't have to leave. Uh, you know, <laughs> he didn't want to give anybody their money back. And... uh he goes, just sit around the infield, sort of like they do at Little League games. Yeah. And uh, if I remember correctly, the score was like 0-0 in the ninth inning, and Louisville's big slugger came up. And uh, it was strike one, strike two, and the crowd got on their feet and were roaring. And this guy hit a rainbow over Demet's head in center field. Well, Demet was the most graceful ball player we ever had. He was like Baryshnikov out there. Hmm. And he turned his back and was running, glancing over one shoulder, glancing over the other. And at the last minute, he jumped up, and as the ball tipped his glove, he came down and dropped it. Uh. And it starts bouncing, and he's chasing Hmm. after it. And as he catches up to it, the ball bounces through the hole in the fence, and rolls down the sewer on Cleveland Avenue. It's the only home run in baseball history to officially roll down a sewer. <laughs> well, that's an amazing stat. I was sure. I, I was thinking it was going to be a ground rule double there. You know, I would think, you know, well, the ball rolls down the sewer. That's a ground rule double. That's not. That's not fieldable. So <laughs> uh, they probably tried to argue that. <laughs> they could have. Man, this is uh what what a rich vein for all of these uh these great stories. I appreciate you sharing that one with me for, for sure. So uh Joe, thank you again. This has been such such a pleasure to talk to you and I hope we get to do it again. Well thank you. Come out and visit us again. I'll come out there. Yeah, I can't just do it twice, you gotta do it three times, right? Odd numbers. So I I will uh, I'll get to another Clippers game for sure and I'll come say hi in person. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. Bye-bye, Paul. It is time once again for your favorite segment on this podcast, my favorite segment on this podcast. Dan (laughs) Simon of Studio Simon is here once again with his Studio Simon Stumper. Dan is taking time out from his busy schedule of designing amazing logos for minor league baseball and the sports world at large. Dan, hello. How are you? I am fantastic. Speaking of designing amazing logos, um, I'm not going to say it is amazing, although I strive to have it be amazing, but I am working on a doozy right now that unfortunately, because of uh, how much in advance these things need to be done, it's not going to see the light of day um, for a while, but I've got some good stuff coming up. So um 
things that are going to be things that got done a while ago that are going to be unveiled this off season. Uh, the stuff I'm doing now, we're talking about more than a year in advance, but I got a lot of good stuff in the pipeline. So everybody be on the lookout, although please know it's not coming anytime soon. Dan, I actually make all of uh, the listeners of this podcast sign a non-disclosure agreement. So you can just go ahead and tell us what it is because they, <laughs> they're not allowed to say. All right. In, in, that, in that case, okay. <laughs> We're talking today about the Columbus Clippers, named for a kind of ship that existed 300 years after Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You know, it's a little bit of a stretch, the connection between Clippers and Columbus, but uh, we're talking about boats. We're talking about Christopher Columbus. Uh, we're talking about little limericks with 1492. I don't know if it's technically a limerick or what, but but anyway, we're here for a studio Simon Stumper that I'm going to guess is going to be boat or Columbus related. You are, let's hope you're as good of a guesser when I ask the Stumper <laughs> as you were with that, because that's exactly what this studio Simon Stumper is about. Mm. And here we go. So right. in 1492, when Columbus sailed the aforementioned Ocean Blue, only two of the three ships that were on that voyage returned to Spain. Oh. Which one did not? Was it? The Nina, which I believe is how it's pronounced because it's got the little squiggly thing on top of the second N. Got the Nina, N, yeah. The Pinta or the Santa Maria. One of those ships did not return. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. One of them didn't return. I am going to say, okay, I mean, I, there's nothing There's nothing I can do to suss here, right? Like, And, and Santa Maria is the only one that's different because it's got two words. I am going to say that the Nina did not return. Okay. Your guess earlier about what the question was about oh. was better than your guess here. <laughs> okay. Because do I get three answer, guesses? Um, <laughs> you, okay. Let's, I'll give you two guesses. So I was actually going to say the Santa Maria because just because that's the only one that has two words and said, and the other ones have one word in them. And so, I was just looking for some distinguishing characteristics. So I was going to say Santa Maria. So your first inclination was to say Santa Maria? It really was, yeah. What have we talked about many, many times? Go with my first inclination. I'm going to and edit this to make it sound like I got it right. Was it Santa Maria? Had you gone with your first inclination, <laughs> you would have been correct. Now let's talk about this a little bit. There's a bunch okay. of do-you-knows in here. Oh, good. Um, the Now this is all according to what you read on the internet. Um, it's not on some weird forum or anything like that. These are articles and things that I've read. So there, there's there's always some conflicting information. So take all of this with a grain of salt. Um, back then, apparently, experts say that boats were normally named after saints, at least maybe in, in Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the Nina and the Pinta, those are not the names of saints. Um, those were like nicknames for the for those particular boats. And they likely had official saint names, although I was not able to determine what, what those were. So even though the Santa Maria has a different name from what we're familiar with, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, apparently they all had similar names, the Santa some things. Mm -hmm. um, so... The reason that the Santa Maria did not 
come back to Spain, did not make its way back to Spain, is because on their way back, on Christmas Eve in 1492, the Santa Maria ran aground on a reef off the island of Hispaniola, which is uh, a, a, an island that is half Haiti and half the Dominican Republic. Um, so it ran aground on a reef and it was declared a total loss. And the they it, it did not sink, at least not immediately. So they were able to use some of the timber from that boat and that ship to build a fort there because they had to leave people on the island um, because they lost one of their three boats and they couldn't bring them all back. Um, 39 people were left on the island. When they returned to get them, the, the fort that they had built was burned to the ground and all 39 of those people, unfortunately, may they rest in peace, were were dead Whoa. so um little tragedy there so yeah. um but let's on on a, on a more uh on a not happier note but a less tragic note mm. um second do you know um did you know uh the the maybe this was discussed when you had your your interview with your guest from from the uh columbus clippers front office um I'm not privy to that. I don't hear that until the episode um, airs. And but so if this is redundant, I apologize in advance. But the name of the team came from a name the team contest. It was a fan had suggested Clippers, um, but the ships on Columbus's voyage were not Clipper ships. Right. Did you guys discuss that? Well, so this was in my sports logos article. This was uh, you know the the Clipper Clipper ships. And Christopher Columbus were not contemporaries. And so I think, yeah, we sort of, Matt Leininger and I loosely discussed the fact that the the reason Columbus has clippers for a brand is that, you know, they're a seafaring vessel, they are sailboats, but there's about 300 years between Christopher Columbus and the clippers. So that's correct. That one I knew. Yep, they were not built until the mid 1800s. So yeah, it's more. It's a little bit over 300 years. Um, now, there's also a, uh, I think, a pretty common misperception that the ships were galleons, but they're not. They're not galleons either. There, there's mm -hmm. even uh, there's even a joke about that. How does that go? Um, what explorer got the best gas mileage, and it was Columbus because he uh, he sailed all the way across the ocean on a galleon on one galleon, you know, but something like that. Um, but they were not galleons, which were not built until the 1500s. So um, the Santa Maria was was a 100 to 150 ton cargo ship called a Carrick. Um, in in Spain, in Spanish or Portuguese, that it was a now, N-A-U, I guess the prefix for nautical. Um, and, but, that ship, and that's the one that um, that Columbus traveled on until it's unfortunate um, running aground and uh, off the island of Hispaniola. Um, and the Nina and Nina and Pinto were smaller ships called caravels. Um, they sailed at greater speeds and and had more maneuverability than the larger Santa Maria. And, and apparently, even though Columbus was on the Santa Maria, because frankly it had better court. Um, quarters there um um 
he he actually was fond of the smaller ships, probably because they were faster and more maneuverable. So there's a little bit of um, extra information, and that's all I got on uh, on that great voyage that where Columbus did not actually discover America. So. <laughs> right. Well, then that's the other question, right, is how come all these Columbuses out there aren't actually named for Leif Erikson? But then also my question for you, Dan, is why, you know, you would still have had the alliteration. Columbus, if he actually sailed a Carrick, is that what you said, a Carrick? Yes. C-A-R-R-A-C-K. They could have been the Columbus Carricks. That would have been great. Yes. With the same logo. Yep. All right. Or the Columbus Caravels. But, um, or the Caravels. ever... Most people are not familiar with those terms. I have to admit, I wasn't until I did a little digging. But whereas we're all fairly uh, familiar with clipper ships. That's true. So. Well, now listeners of Baseball by Design are familiar with Carricks and Caravels because of Dan Simon in the studio, Simon Stumpers. Dan, thank you so much. This has been fun. Even though I'm still on the schneid, I you know I got to get off the schneid here at some point because I've got a losing streak going. Dan, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, and I'll see you later. Go find Dan on Instagram at studio underscore Simon. Go ahead and do that. 